From the Lean Enterprise Institute in Boston, this is the WLEI Podcast, where we share stories of people making the world better through lean thinking and practice. For more information about LEI, including how we can help you apply lean thinking, please visit lean.org. Welcome to the WLEI Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Savas, and today I'm speaking with Jill Kadick and Grace Iavaldi from Barton Mallow, a construction company. Jill is the company's director of Lean, and Grace is a Lean manager. We'll discuss how they've been working to foster a culture of problem solving at Barton Mallow, principally through a hands-on program dubbed Lean University. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the WLEI podcast. I'm your host, Matt Savas, and I'm pleased to be joined by Jill Kadick and Grace Iovaldi from Barton Mallow. Jill and Grace, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. Uh, I guess we'll start with just some basic background, give the audience uh, a little bit of background about yourselves. Um, Jill, do you want to start off a little bit about who you are and what your role is at Barton Mallow? Sure. Uh, So I have been at Barton Mallow for um, about five years. And prior to that, I want to give just a little bit of background because I'm not from the um, architectural engineering construction space. I'm not from the AEC space, but rather spent um, about 20 years in automotive and working in um, engineering, product management, consumer insights, brand marketing. And so being in the uh, automotive space, you can't not be exposed to some lean practices, even though I was not a lean practitioner in in those roles. Uh, But what was key in those roles that I think is very transferable to this lean space is understanding the customer and and a deep understanding of the customer and what it is that they value so that you can deliver upon that value and and, um, satisfy your customer. And so when I came over to Barton Mallow five years ago, um, I was hired in under continuous improvement. And so it was at that time that Barton Mallow started um, making continuous improvement a little bit more um, of, of an official role. And so I have worked on standard work, standard practices. Um, and at this point in time, uh, my role is to help in leading and coaching and, and developing lean leaders in our organization and um, helping them in their problem solving and in their active sharing of, of knowledge as well. Thanks, Jill. And Grace? I'm Gracie Avaldi, and I've been with Barton Mallow now for nine years. Um, and the majority of my career has been in the architectural engineering and construction industry. However, it's been primarily in marketing and sales. So still customer focused, but um, primarily in the pursuit of winning more work. And I was selected to be in the organization's first cohort of Lean University. So that was really my first introduction into Lean. Uh, And I was inspired and excited about the Lean way of thinking, the tools, the mindset. So I set out to join the Lean team. So since then, um, I've been working closely with Jill uh, on Lean University and teaching the curriculum Um, improving our materials and growing our number of lean champions within the organization. Great. And we're going to jump into what lean university is later in the the discussion. Um, But 
Grace, I mean, we've gathered that this is a construction company, Yeah. Um, but can you provide a little bit more detail about what Barton Mallow does in the sure. construction industry? So Barton Mallow began as a general contractor and that was nearly a hundred years ago. So we are actually celebrating our hundredth anniversary in 2024. Oh. So it's pretty Congrats. exciting things to come for us. Thank you. Uh, founded in Detroit and now with multiple offices and over 3,000 employees, we build across North America and across several industries, industrial, manufacturing, automotive, sports stadiums, hospitals, and really everything in between. So Barton Mallow, um, as you mentioned, is in construction. They're a leader in the construction industry and with a continued focus on moving that industry forward through mm -hmm. technology and innovative people. And lean is, is growing within that transform transformation of the industry. That's kind of a nice segue. So, um, you know, I'd like to explore the history of lean at Barton Mallow and maybe how it wound up on that, uh, sort of list of innovative ideas at the company. Uh, Jill, you spoke to it a little bit, um, but could you share a little bit more about Barton Mallow's history with, with lean thinking, how it's yeah. lived inside the company? Sure. So um, it was before I was at Barton Mallow, um, 10 to 15 years ago, you know, as Grace said, we work in a lot of different um, markets and the automotive industrial space is, um, is a big uh, market sector that we work in. And so working with the large OEMs, um, we were introduced to lean and needed to uh, start practicing some lean practices on, on some of the manufacturing facilities that we were building. And again, that was like 10, maybe even 15 years ago. And so uh, through that, started getting um, acquainted with, with lean, um, but it didn't really stick at that time. And then about five years ago, um, when I came into the organization, there was a desire to be a little bit more formal about continuous improvement. So I was hired in as a continuous improvement leader. And um, that started to, to gain further traction with our documentation of standard work and um, a lot of you know, process improvement kinds of conversations. And we did have some um, lean practitioners in the organization. Um, that wasn't the only thing necessarily they were they were doing, but definitely a couple of experts at that time five years ago um, on in the lean space. And then um, we had some exposure to uh, the Danaher organization mm -hmm. and in learning more about um, Danaher and felt that we we were Grace mentioned, you know, we're started 100 years ago. We're over 3000 people now. Our organization has grown exponentially just since I started five years ago. And so in 2020, um, the, the leadership said, you know, as we continue to grow the way we are, we need to look at a framework that will help us grow, help us not just be more efficient, but making sure that we're delivering on the value that the customer wants, that we're continuously improving. And of course, you know, that respect for people part of it has, I think, always been in the nature mm -hmm. of Barton Mallow. And so um, 
it was it was decided, you know, we are going to build um, a lean culture within Barton Mallow. And so that's that's where we are now building that lean culture um, almost. Gosh, I guess it's almost four years, three and a half years into that uh, journey and that uh, bit of a um, that evolution, as we call it, not so much a transformation, but an evolution. Uh, we've seen a lot of success. And one of those uh, successes is is this Lean University program that we're really excited to share with you today. Okay, so um, introduced originally by some OEMs who were customers of the organization, kind of dipped your toes into some of the tools, techniques maybe, and then the company begins to to grow quickly and there's a thought, hey, how can we grow with some control and uh, landed yeah. on Lean as a way to do that. Uh, I, I, I think you were right to do that, of course, from the Lean Enterprise Institute. Sounds like a good idea. Um, and okay, so uh, how do you build a lean culture? That's a question that everybody asks. And, uh, you know, it's it's something you don't answer through uh, thinking about it in a conference room. It's you, you answer it by changing behaviors. And so you all cooked up something called Lean University. Jill, you were a part of its first cohort. A cohort means that you participated in, I guess, the 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 training, the classes, I guess, well, well, I guess what is Lean University? Let's start there. What is this uh, Lean University? And maybe uh, Jill, can you, can you provide an overview of what it is? Sure. Sure. So we decided, um, well, let me, uh, one more thing I'd like to add before we jump in the Lean University, yeah, sure. we, because Please. people ask like, how do you build a Lean culture? And we were asking ourselves that. Yeah. And we, the, this concept of doing lean before we become lean. And so we, uh, we were doing Kaizen events and we're still, we still have a lot of Kaizen events going on, but that was, that was our first thing. Like, okay, we need to be this lean organization. We need to have this structured approach to continuous improvement and Kaizen events are going to help us in doing that. And we needed also to um, get a, a large audience uh, up to speed on what lean means. So to some people, okay. you hear that word and you're like, oh, that's that's a mystery. I think that's what they do over there. That doesn't that doesn't impact me. So uh, what we did was we developed these lean university programs. Um, we have a couple of lean university programs. Today we're going to focus on the one that is designed for our core service teams. And what lean university is is it's a um, it's a five-day training program that is spread over three months time. And we use the A3 thinking framework to introduce uh, lean principles and lean tools and practices. Mm. Grace, you were you were a graduate of the first cohort. I was. I think I said Jill earlier. That was a mistake. It was you, Grace. And before we started Don't this interview- that first session. And I was, okay. yep. So she was still there. <laughs> so um, you were enthusiastic about your experience inside of this program. I'm curious, what was it that resonated with you? Especially curious because you're from a marketing sales background, which is typically not where you see, um, you know, lean thinking applied. You know, what what was it about what you experienced over those uh, five days and three months that that you found? exciting and well so exciting that you decided to, 
to join Jill's team. What was so great about my experience within Lean University is, and, and what we hope to bring to all of the participants is we focus on a problem within your own work. So mm-hmm. in coming into Lean University, I, w- I was partnered with an, another colleague of mine who was also in marketing and sales. And we had a problem that we had already been talking about, but we didn't know how to tackle it. We would just talk to each other and go spin around in circles about how we were going to attack this problem and and what change needed to be hap- what needed to happen to tackle it. And then we get into Lean University and there is a framework, there's tools, there's organization, there's a path to follow to mm. analyze that problem, get down to the to the root cause and develop a plan to and countermeasures to to actually implement those solutions that we came up with. And and we did just that. And I was inspired to do it some more and looked forward to seeing what other problems that the other participants were were tackling at the same time. Is that part of the design of the cohort? Everybody comes with a problem to solve? Sure is. Uh, When we first start, our participants may not know yet what problem they're going to focus on. Um, but when we kick off and we learn about waste and how to see waste um, mm. and what type of waste there are, that sparks and inspires the our participants to identify that waste within their own work. Oh. And the problems really come to the surface right in the beginning once we start talking about waste. Um, and using that A3 format, we develop our problem statements right in the beginning. And our participants do that and develop a good problem statement right at the start of Lean University. And that's part of the focus throughout the sessions. It's a common thing, you know, uh, how do you get people to care about something? You know, why should people care about waste? Why should people care about these Japanese words, of course, they shouldn't care about these Japanese words. Maybe they don't even should care about waste, but they should care about problems. And uh, it's easier, actually, it can be easy to get people to come on board with something if you can, if it helps them, if it helps them solve a problem. So uh, that sounds like uh, an effective way to get things started, have people come with a problem to solve. And these problems, do you design them so that, or not design them, but do you encourage people to, um, like, how do you scope a problem? Is it always something that's within their scope of work or are people coming with, you know, not to probably complain too much on this podcast, but a lot of people say like, you know, we have a bad culture. That's our problem. How do you get people, how do you, how do you help people define a good problem statement. I saw you even have a worksheet on it. I was fascinated by that. How do you help people define a good problem statement? Maybe Jill, can you walk me through that process? Yeah, and and you're absolutely right. You know, the the let's boil the ocean kind of problems. Um, people come in and they are told we do a, a. I mentioned the five days, but I should also add we do a ninety minute kickoff virtual session. Our five days okay. are all in person. But we do a 90 minute kickoff session beforehand because you know what it's like to come to a class and day one, eight o'clock in the morning of the first session, you know, somebody's pointing at you and says, what's what's the problem that you want to solve? We're going to focus on it now for five days. So (laughs) on your toes, tell me what problem you want to solve. 
And that, that doesn't work well. So about a week before day one, we do a virtual kickoff. And like Grace said, we introduce the concept of value. We introduce the concept of waste. And we talk about, you know, what is wasteful to you might not be wasteful to someone else. And we give examples along that line. And so we talk about what makes a good problem statement. And we want people to come into class with a problem, like you suggested, that is within their scope of control largely. Ah, okay. So nice. but we still have people that will, and we tell them this is natural, you know, it, it's okay. We ask them also, don't just come to day one with one problem, come with two or three. And we give them guidance um, in that virtual kickoff session on how to write that problem. And so, you know, describe it, just describe what is happening. Describe if you can, um, you know, why it's wasteful, what is the waste? And there should be um, a description in there such that your boss cares that you're working on this. You know, your leadership should care that this is worth your while. And we generally don't have problem. uh, We don't have an issue with people coming with problems. One, because Barton Mallow is a, has a fantastic culture to begin with, and it's okay to have a problem. And we stress that through, through lean uh, and, and even more so over these last three and a half years. Um, But when we tell people also, this isn't in addition to your work, don't think of that this way. This is your work. So like the problem that Grace and and her partner had uh, coming into our first cohort, this was something that was, this was a problem that was causing them, um, you know, some, some level of distress. They were wasting their time. They were spinning their wheels and they hadn't sort of taken themselves off of the operational part of just keep getting the work done to take a step back and say, how can we make this better for ourselves? So that's the environment that we create uh, in our Lean U course. And and that is really, I think, the motivating factor that people are able to take a step back and say, okay, Mm. this drives me crazy in my work. This This is not the best way to do it. I don't know what that best way is. And we really, you know, we have them focus back before I jump ahead too far, but have them focus on what is that problem that's largely in their scope of work. They're going to care about it because they can make work better for themselves. And um, and we want them to be able to explain why other people uh, should care as well. Well I, wanna, I wanna, I, well, well, I just want, you know, I want to emphasize that second point you made because uh, you're right. It shouldn't just be the person solving the problem who cares about it. You do have to convince other people probably your boss, this is a problem worth solving. And I think that's uh, commonly missed. Part of this is a sales project. You right. do have to uh, convince people that this is worth working on. And it's not just something I'm doing because it's bothering me, mm-hmm. especially when problems grow in scope and you have to work uh, outside your team or with other people. And so uh, how do you sell the idea that, hey, you know, we should spend some time solving this thing? And uh, I like that. I like that part of the the problem statement process is providing that that background and uh, that kind of that kind of selling, convincing people that yes, this is something we should we should be working on. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's possible to reveal. You know, it's no company secrets here. This is broadcast over 
all uh, podcast channels. So we have to be sensitive, I guess. But are you able to share what the problem you solved or what was your problem, Grace? Can you share that? Sure. So what I focused on when I was joining LeanU was the problem in our onboarding process within the department I was in. I was in marketing um, and how the burden and the time was falling on a small group of people. So Mm -hmm. we focused on the process. How can we um, create and standardize a process that will minimize the time that's spent in in preparing um, when we're onboarding new employees, um, as well as minimize the burden on that small group of people? Okay. So uh, managing burden. Mm-hmm. onboarding new employees. All right. Um, so we have a problem statement, but you have, you, have, you obviously want to solve the problem. You want to just leave with a problem statement. We all walk away knowing we have problems. You have to actually do something about them. How, what's, what's the process? So there's this, this five days over three months. I'm curious about why you structure it that way. First of all, why five days over three months and what happens over those five days and three months? Uh, Jill, can you walk us through as the Sure. What this is? So yeah, both uh, good questions. So we use the A3 um, framework. And mm-hmm. so um, when people come in to that very first day, we go deeper into what lean is all about and, and waste and value and do some exercises to help people understand that. We talk about their problem statements. And so th- over the course of the five days, we walk them through the key components of um, A3 thinking, and we introduce tools along the way to help them solve that problem. And the reason that we, so our our curriculum, and and we can go into more detail on that, um, but it it introduces the tools, it's talking about A3 thinking, it really encourages people to stay in that problem space. Like Grace said, before she came to Lean You, Uh, They were talking about this problem they had with onboarding and training, but they would have conversations and just kind of spin their wheels because the human nature is to jump into solution mode without fully understanding what that problem is. So we stay in that problem space for a really long time. And the reason we are structured the way we are, as opposed to like a five-day intensive all-in course is we want people to have time to you know, digest and process what they've learned. So we mm. teach a little bit and, and then they have a, a couple of weeks, uh, two to three weeks in between the each session to say, okay, this is what I've, I've learned. This is how I can apply that to my problem. Um, you know, this is, this is the go to Gemba exercise that I need to do in between the days that I'm in my training program. And it's, so it's very, it's very hands-on and there's a lot of exercises when they're in the, in the classroom space, but there's work to be done outside of the classroom. And we don't, if we did it five days in a row, I don't think it would have the same kind of impact that it does. Well, not to do plugs here, but Elia actually had the same, uh, it was a forced epiphany because of COVID. We could no longer do our in-person workshops and we taught an A3 course over two days. And now we almost exclusively teach it remotely. And it takes place not over, actually, it may be three months, actually, now that I think about it. Um, so we may be teaching the same thing uh, accidentally. And it's true, you know, giving people time to uh, digest what they're learning, but also apply the learning. Um, that's so important. You're not really learning anything unless you're applying it. Um, and so 
race. So you, you have this problem and for you, it was um, the, the experience was you finally had tools, a method to go about solving the problem. I'm curious, you know, how did your problem solving approach evolve from prior to this in university to, you know, going through it? what, what change in mindset or, or method, what, what happened? So like I mentioned before, it was just myself and my colleague just talking to each other about the problem, come mm-hmm. trying to come up with a solution, but not really having a reason behind that solution, just a lot of talking out loud. And that seemed to happen repeatedly. So once we were going through Lean University, um, a few of the tools that I found really beneficial um, was a value stream map. So we could clearly identify the steps to our process and where we were identifying waste um, and diving into that root cause. Going to Gemba just helped tremendously to not just get what we thought was working or not working, but the input from our other team members, from other new hires and their experiencing when they were onboarding. Um, Is that what you mean by, so Gemba I think most of our listeners are familiar with this yeah. term, but Gemba is a, one of those Japanese words. It means the place where, where work happens, mm-hmm. roughly in English. And uh, what, is, what does Gimba look like for an onboarding process? So we were particip- sitting in on more onboarding trainings, what was being said during those training sessions, how we were going through the process to prepare for the onboarding, the new hire, um, and getting feedback from the other um, marketers who are onboarding the new hires, as well as the new hires themselves. Okay. And so uh, you have these tools about going to see uh, value stream mapping. uh, And for you, these were these were sort of transformational in how you approach mm-hmm. what clarity did that provide in terms of of addressing the the overburden so one of the the biggest aha moments is when we were able to identify um the current condition in hours so we were spending nearly 4 hours in preparing for onboarding and setting that target condition to something we thought was realistic if we minimized it to 1 hour um, and developing the countermeasures to to reach that goal that we were setting in place. Why was setting a target important for you? Because otherwise we're just hoping for the best. So this way it was a lot easier for us to go back and revisit the process as it was happening. We're we improving if once we had that target, we knew that it started at four hours. We're setting it at one. Um, it was a, so much easier to go back and revisit that process and see if we were improving along the way. You know, part of the the cycle is the the plan, do, check, act cycle, mm-hmm. right? So we've we've done some planning, we've done some doing. Um, I'm curious about how how do you go about um, getting people to observe the two other steps, the check and the act? Is that part of the Lean University as well, Jill? You know, it. We talk about PDCA. Yeah. all the time right uh and in our class it, we we talk about that and explain what that is when somebody leaves the um the program they have gone through all of these a3 thinking steps but haven't gotten to implementation yet so they okay. do the implementation after the course however as you know with 
with A3 thinking, there's a constant PDCA cycle going on. And so referring back to part of our conversation a little earlier about these problem statements that are, you know, to boil the ocean. And we don't want anyone to feel constrained in writing that first problem statement. So we talk about scope, but at the same time, we don't want somebody to you know, be pulling their hair out because I can't come up with a problem statement. I don't understand this scope thing. So come come to the first class with, with some ideas. And we, we put that problem statement in the upper left there on the uh, A3 thinking document. But as we go through and introduce tools and they go to Gemba and they start to do root cause analysis, then people have this, this aha and say, oh, wait a minute. Maybe that's not really my problem. Maybe I need to solve this problem oh, first. Interesting. And so they scope down their A3. So people are constantly practicing the PDCA cycle as mm-hmm. they go through that A3. So they, they've got this problem statement. They get a few steps into um, that A3 thinking process, and they have to you know, check their own work and go, oh, wait a minute, I'm going to adjust, I need to change that scope. So although they haven't gotten to that implementation part, and to see if it if it's going to stick or not, they still are learning PDCA. And we demonstrate it, we role model it as well. You know, at the end of every session, we do a plus delta, we like to do plus, Mm. you know, what can be improved, what was great, and what did I learn as well. And we implement those changes um sometimes you know the the afternoon of the session but always at the next session mm. so they see it they see pdca happening you know something that struck me you sent me some materials over um for me to review and um you have participants uh characteristics of participants i thought this was interesting uh is it okay if i read a couple of these off sure it's okay not too revealing um, collaborative, trusting, and forward thinking. Uh, able to influence team members, clients, partners. I'll read one, just one more. Willing to challenge the status quo while showing respect for people. So this is not a mandated program. Are people, are, are you curating the cohort? Are you, is it self-selection? How, how do people actually find themselves in this, in this program? It's a little bit of both and all. Yeah. So, um, I mean, ultimately, we, we, we've developed the Lean University program to uh, accelerate the, the growth and spreading of our lean culture. We ultimately do want all of our um, team members to go through this program, but I would say that we highlight those characteristics and I'd say 99% of our team members do have those characteristics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But as we initially have launched it, you know, we're looking for maybe some of those change agents um, to, to come in first to help us in that acceleration and that spread. Um, we, uh, Grace has developed this really great, uh, we call it our application process, but really it's a way for us to collect um, uh, input from people um, who are interested so there is some self-selection. There is um, sometimes um, a manager might recommend somebody uh, come through the program. Um, and 
um, we also, at the end of each cohort, and we, I should mention, we just wrapped up our fourth cohort last Thursday, so it's all fresh on our minds. Um, we ask for recommendations. So, hey, you just oh, finished wow. this. Uh, you know, what did you think of the program? Please let us know who on your teams or someplace else you think would benefit from this kind of training. But it's not mandatory, yet our goal is still eventually to get all, all of our team members through it. I will say I, I I loved it. I love that list. I think um, you know mandatory mass training and our experience proves to be not so effective. Mm-hmm. Finding uh, interested people uh, who are willing to learn and try some new things uh, that is effective. And so uh, I thought it was pretty clever to think through you know, who do we want to be a part, especially the early stages. Because you're selling something too, uh, that this is worthwhile doing. And so how do you create essentially more instances of grace? You know, somebody who goes through this thing and is enthusiastic about it and is going to tell their, their colleagues, hey, this is this is great. You should be you should be trying this out. Um, which is not an easy thing to do, early stages. So getting the right people on board, finding those people is really the task, is uh is is so important. Um so you've been at this now for a few years. I think you said April 2020. What a terrible time to begin a major new initiative, April 2020. Is that when you all started the That's Lean University? Not Lean University. That's when the uh, initial Lean organization formed. And I will tell oh, you I back see. then, it was you know three to four people. And uh, we kicked off Lean U for core services April of 22, 22. right, Grace? Yeah, yeah. that's when Okay. Okay, and so uh, it hasn't been, I guess, a year and a half or so since you started that. And Grace, what, what have you observed to be some initial results? I'll say results, both in terms of, you know, if there are some compelling business results, but also just sort of the, the, um, the atmosphere inside of the organization vis-a-vis problem solving. So I'm seeing a lot of excitement about lean and it's starting to build. And I think one of the main reasons that um, we're building that excitement is through the showcase, through the the final uh, day of our lean university. When our team members who went through lean U are lean champions, that's what we call our graduates, um, present their findings, their work, their problem, and and how they plan on to solve that problem through um, an open style showcase where they display all of their findings and other Barton Mallet team members are able to come and talk with our lean champions about what they learned, what problem they, they tackled, how they dissected and analyzed that problem and their plans for the future. So our lean champions are excited to share their findings, but other Barton Mallow team members are getting excited about the problems that are being solved. And it sparks a lot of ideas from other Barton Mallow team members mm-hmm. who, who see a problem and say, I kind of have something similar. I know when I presented at our showcase, I had several other Barton Mallow team members say, you know, onboarding for me too can be a struggle. You know, what, what did you find? Um, in your plans to come to, to fix this, the problem Mm. that you're facing. So I think those discussions are really sparking a lot of excitement 
on other Barton team members and getting more people to apply and, and want to learn more about lean in general. And, um, you know, as you look back, is there anything that you would do differently or, you know, there are plenty of companies that are embarking on some sort of lean initiative. Um, is there anything that you would say, uh, you know, don't do this or do this? What are some key lessons learned over the past couple of years? So I think the the biggest lesson that I've learned, Jill, from going through Lean is getting the feedback from the participants. Uh, and we've been able to get some feedback from those who have gone through Lean. I know as a participant of myself, myself and then joining uh, on the teaching side, Jill and I have worked together from, from what I saw could be improved and we've made those improvements. And then through every cohort and every session, we ask our participants, what would you do differently or what could have made this mm. better for you? And we take that in consideration and we're continuously improving Lean University as we go through every cohort and every session, really. So I think the biggest takeaway for me and my advice to others who may want to implement teachings is to get the feedback from those who are going through it. Mm. So you can do your yeah. own internal PDCA cycles. Nice. Constantly. And like I said, we just wrapped up on Thursday last week. And uh, Grace and I have already had some conversations about some feedback we've gotten. And we're, and we're excited about the next one, which will start in January, because, you know, the little tweaks that we're going to be able to make just to continue to make it that much better. And the one really tangible thing I would say, if anybody's looking to start a program, it, it is not a lecture based program. It's very mm -hmm. hands-on. They're coming in with their problems. They're, they're learning tools and we give people time in our program to practice those tools on their problem. And that's one of the things that we're going to continue to tweak with the next session is to make sure that it's not just, uh, you know, 50% of the participants, uh, we're going to use your problem as an example, but that everyone in the course has time in that course to, um, to work on their problem. That's so important. The hands-on piece, um, this stuff, uh, problems aren't solved in conference rooms. You know, they're right. solved where the work is done. And so getting people to, to implement the, the learning is, you know, that's the, that's the heart of it right there. Well, uh, I'll, I'll wrap it there. Uh, Jill and Grace, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. Thank you, Matt. Thanks again to Jill and Grace for joining me here on the podcast. Uh, they'll be leading a learning session about how to foster a culture of problem solving at the Lean Summit in March. To learn more and register, head over to lean.org summit. Register by January 31st to save on your registration and register a group of five or more to save further. And thanks to you all for listening. Until next time.